show on the World Football Index. It's a jam-packed show today as we look back at a nerve-wracking final round of Commonwealth World Cup qualifying that saw three teams vying for the last spot right up until the last match. Plus, we'll have a look at the World Cup draw itself and a look ahead to the Libertadores group stage too. I'm your host, Tom Robinson, and joining me is a trio of experts spanning the emotional spectrum following the last round of qualifiers. First up, we've got the man who witnessed Peru's victory in person. It's, it's Mike Rice. How have the parties over there died down yet, Mike? Uh, to a degree, um, just because it was uh, so eventful that night. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible experience and a great atmosphere for Peru. Yeah, no, it certainly looks and looking forward to hearing all about it. Next up, and probably not quite as ecstatic, it's Adam Brandon in Chile. How are you, mate? Yeah, all right. Um, I think uh, I think what happened on Tuesday night was kind of expected, so it didn't come to as too much of a shock uh, to the system. Um, but yeah, uh, looking forward to the World Cup still anyway. That's what we like to hear. And uh, finally, in a, in a move reminiscent of Atletico Nacional bringing back Gio Moreno, it's a warm welcome to another WFI legend, Simon Edwards. How are you, buddy? I'm okay. I'm okay. Hopefully, I'm not living off my reputation like Gio Moreno, given his performances this season. But uh, I'll try and I'll try and pop up with an occasional golazo. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm sure you'll manage it. So to set the scene, going into that penultimate round. Uh, of World Cup qualifiers. Uruguay were in fourth place with 22 points, Peru in fifth with 21 points, Chile in sixth with 19, and Colombia just behind them in seventh with 17. And if that wasn't dr- dramatic enough, we obviously had Peru travelling to Montevideo to play Uruguay in a fourth meets fifth six-pointer. As it happened, Uruguay emerged victorious thanks to a Georgian D. Arisqueta goal just before halftime, which was enough to secure a 1-0 win for Uruguay and book their place at Qatar, but left Peru in a fairly perilous position going into the final game. Only one point ahead of Colombia following their 3-0 win over Bolivia and two points ahead of Chile, who um, maybe not too surprisingly lost to Brazil. So, Mike, what what were your thoughts and feelings after that loss to to Uruguay, first of all? Yeah, it was um, was a... Tough one with the um, uh, the, the la- late drama from the uh, Trauco overhit cross, which um, Russia um, catches and falls back into his goal, and uh, the whole of Peru saying it's gone over the line. <laughs> Everyone else and the referee, more importantly, saying no, it's not over. So, um, there was the uh, the excitement as the uh, as the fan of watching that and the the stress that goes with it, I guess. Um, but Uruguay, obviously, a very good side. Um, there was a little bit of hope as well, knowing that with the manager change, um, Diego Alonso coming in, they hadn't played the, the best team so far, and they're still finding their sort of finding their feet. So there was a bit of hope that we might get something. But um, I thought it was quite a close game. But Uruguay sort of edged it with a little bit of extra quality, and uh, in the end of the game, really. But, um, yeah, it was more all on that last last second, last minute sort of uh, controversy. But otherwise, we felt confident going into the Paraguay game, I think. Are we, are we still calling it controversy or is the heat of the moment anger died down or, or is there still a, a sizable contingent who, if Peru don't make that, that World Cup, do you, do you think they'll be clutching at straws of Commonwealth corruption or or looking just for a, for an excuse if if that's the the moment that potentially saw them uh, miss out if they if they don't win their next game 
Um, I think there was only the sort of briefest moment you see the uh, the television camera go over to the referee who looks like he's actually listening to his earpiece. Um, so I think for many, probably didn't notice that. For many of the media, they've sort of, uh, one newspaper here sort of slightly edited the uh, picture to make it look even more obvious it went <laughs> over the line. Um, so uh, if we hadn't have gone through, there would have, there would have no doubt been uh, lots of uh, calls that are Gondobol hates Peru. They only want the big teams, but uh, luckily we've gone through and we don't have to uh, don't have to sit through all of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think probably for the best. Uh, but but Simon, seeing Peru slip up in that first of the of the two games and, and Colombia finally score a goal, did you start to believe that the impossible might just be possible? Well, yeah. I mean, it was a combination of obviously Peru not getting the result that they would have liked. And then also Paraguay suddenly looking really good <laughs> with a big win against Ecuador. Um, it, it meant that Colombia were just one point away, which feels close. Um, but then, you know, it's uh, Peru, a motivated Peru at home um, against a, a Paraguay side that's already eliminated. Now, obviously, that, that brings with it a bit of freedom, <laughs> a bit more of an attacking Paraguay, perhaps. Um, but I think once they got that relatively early goal in the second leg, obviously that 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 killed things off a little bit, but absolutely. I mean, it kind of went as I expected, um, to be honest. And I think for Colombia as well, they got this confidence-boosting win against uh, against Bolivia. I think, in some ways, looking back, it would have been useful to have that win maybe three or four games before to get a few goals and kind of shake off that seven-game goalless run, which is worse than San Marino. Um, I think. Uh, for a confidence boost for the strikers to kind of get their seven games without a goal out of the headlines, it would have been useful to have that Bolivia game a bit earlier, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, Colombians were happy to score a goal and it was a Luis Diaz goal lasso, which was which is nice in, in a number of ways. Obviously, Luis Diaz is now the big hope for Colombia moving forward. But uh, yeah, obviously, um, there was some renewed confidence. Uh, looking back, I think that goal that Peru scored in Barranquilla um, where Colombia had been pushing and pushing and pushing to get the <laughs> to score a goal, um, and and they couldn't do it, and then Peru broke away and, and got that big goal in Barranquilla. I think that was the point where many Colombians decided, yeah, we're probably not going to the World Cup, and if we do, we probably don't deserve to be there. Um, so a little bit of a confidence boost with a win against Bolivia. The game in Venezuela was very flat. I think the players realised that it wasn't going to be enough. Um, and that probably had an impact on the performance, but it was they pushed hard to get the opener. They got a bit lucky with the penalty, and, and then it kind of saw out the game. But um, there was definitely a little bit of renewed hope, although the, the feeling in Colombia was if you can't score a goal in seven games, you probably don't deserve to go to a World Cup. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's that's probably pretty fair. And and Adam, did did any lingering hope vanish after that? Brazil game or have you already resigned yourself to, to missing out? Yeah, I think I think most people here had resigned themselves to missing out various times over the World Cup qualifying campaign. I know I certainly did. Um, probably sort of the, the lowest point for me was, you know, those away defeats to Peru and Colombia, you know, that those are direct rivals for that fifth spot and they were pathetic performances looking back um, and yeah and, and even when Chile played okay 
they couldn't quite get the results. Uh, you know, Argentina and Brazil at home, you know, on a different day, they could have both got at least a point out of those games. They didn't. Um, so, yeah, it was just one of those campaigns, really, where, yeah, things just didn't go quite right for Chile. They certainly didn't sort of deserve to qualify. I think it could be argued that nobody particularly deserved to qualify um, apart from the top three in terms of consistency over the whole course of the campaign. Um, for me, it was the worst set of World Cup qualifying series I can remember. Um, Peru obviously did fantastic uh, late on in the qualifying series to take that final spot and Uruguay with their change of manager. You know, that, that obviously saw them over the line. But yeah, to, to take it back to Chile, I just feel that last match against Uruguay kind of highlighted all the issues that we've that we've seen throughout the campaign. You know, Lasarte started Brereton, even though Brereton was clearly not fit. Um, and that is something he's done with various players uh, over the course of the campaign. From what I remember, you know, this is partly a problem due to the fact that Chile just lack strength and depth at the moment. Um, the midfield looks slow and lethargic. Um, Vidal, you know, is so far off the level that he was, obviously, at his peak. And, yeah, and Chile just don't have the players around him to compensate for the, for the dominance that he used to inflict on the opposition in, in, in midfield. Um, Polgar is completely out of form. He went completely off the boil in the last sort of 18 months or so. Um, which was a shame to see. You know, Vargas stops scoring, couldn't be relied on anymore. I don't think he got one goal in this World Cup qualifying campaign. Um, probably the the best player for Chile throughout the World Cup qualifiers was Alexis Sanchez. But, yeah, even he was missing for some key games, perhaps if he had played with them. Chile might have just got those few points that they needed to get over the line. But, yeah, um, not even getting 20 points is is pretty disgraceful really um and uh and yeah it's it's a chance now for chile to regroup um it's over two years until their next competitive match um which is obviously the same for all the teams who who aren't who didn't finish in the top five um so uh, i'm kind of i think it's kind of a good thing in some way to put sort of a positive spin on it because it's a big wake-up call for those in charge of of Chilean football. This isn't good enough. Um, plenty, plenty has to change. And uh, and yeah, and they've got the time now to to really sort of have a, have a review of all the processes, um, get the right appointments in place. Um, and yeah, and, and just go again for 2026, although I think the biggest worry here at the moment is that there's rumours that the Chilean FAB and FAP are on the brink of being bankrupt. So, um, yeah, that, that's obviously a huge worry as that could yeah, completely collapse Chilean football if, that's, if that, that rumour is true. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's some worrying times, but also, you know, got to hope that that rumour isn't true really and uh, and I do believe that there is um, some decent talent coming through here in Chile although 
unless you follow it closely here, you're probably not seeing it at the moment, um, especially with no sort of under-21 tournaments going on in the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's some worrying times, but also depending on what view you want to take, some, some are choosing to remain a little optimistic that this could be a good thing in the long term. Yeah, I definitely think there's there's something to be said for that because we I mean we saw that with with Argentina using that time after the last World Cup um and the start of competitive fixtures to really rejuvenate and renew the squad. So I th- I think there's there's a potential there for for Chile to do that. I mean, who who would you see as the green shoots coming through Adam and I mean how are they going to well, one question as well that I specifically wanted to ask you was about, you know, the the goalkeeping situation. Bravo didn't look very good in that Brazil game and and I was kind of you know wanting to get your opinion on who are the the main people likely to kind of take his place as well yeah even if uh, even if Bravo didn't pick up that second yellow card in the Brazil game I think I would have picked Cortez to start against Uruguay anyway um, I think he is Ch- Chile's best goalkeeper right now um, and that's kind of a bonus really how well he's performed since he's, you know, had to replace Bravo in the side. You know, his man of match against Bolivia away and arguably was Chile's best player um the other night as well. So yeah, I think I think that that is that is a plus that it looks like Chile have found a decent replacement for for Bravo. Um Cortez has looked decent now for a, a couple of years at Colo Colo, but obviously you never know how these players especially goalkeepers might cope at international level with the pressure etc uh so yeah it's uh so that's been positive to see um i thought kusovic played pretty well the other night um uh, one player who hasn't simply played enough of these world cup qualifiers and is one of the best center backs in south america for me is paulo diaz um so hopefully in the next cycle he will be nailed on as a starter I think Medell has got in the way a little bit too much there for for his sort of progression into the side Um, and then when we look in midfield um, I think Chile have you know there isn't a midfielder coming through maybe on the level of Vidal but there's plenty that can reach kind of the levels that in my opinion Charles Arangis or or Marcelo Diaz got to Um, so Marcelino Nunes, who's already performed pretty well for Chile in a different couple of positions. Unfortunately, he completely lost his form in the last month. Looked completely out of sorts. No, no idea really what's happened to him there. But um, yeah, that's why he didn't play in the, in, the, in the last couple of matches. Then there's Victor Mendes at Union Española, a player I really enjoy watching. Beautiful passer of the ball. Reminds me a lot of when I first came to Chile and saw Arangis and I went to the stadium and I just thought, what is this player still doing here in South America? You know, he should be in Europe. And even then, it took until after the 2014 World Cup for Arangis to get to get a move. So, um, yeah, uh, and then sort of the teenage talents coming through, um, the two midfielders at Colo Colo, Johan Cruz and, and Vicente Pizarro, um, you know, those are two of the most talented teenagers I've seen in Chile for quite a few years. And, uh, and yeah, I think uh, if they get the right chances in the next year or two, 
to be integrated into this Chile team. I think it could really give them the confidence um, to kick on, but they do need to break into the Colo Colo team regularly as well in the in the next year or two to get those chances. I feel as well. So yeah, there's there's a few options there. Obviously, we've we've already sort of discovered that Brereton and Montesinos, for example, the shirt doesn't hang heavy on them, and and that's quite. Uh, that's, that's quite a good thing. They're, they're going to be key key men for 2026, and uh, and yeah, and the other player, obviously, I'd like to mention is Carlos Palacios, who got a big money move from Union Española to Internacional in uh, in Brazil, but it hasn't quite worked out for him yet. Not the first talent in Chilean that's that's happened to in in, in recent years. Probably won't be the last. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a big year coming up for him, but a player with with bags of talent, um, who yeah, if, if things go right for him in the next couple of years, could become a really key player for Chile. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Bereton Diaz, one of the highlights of of the campaign, um, and you know, talking of mixed nationality strikers who, who made a big impact, then you know the perfect time to circle back to Peru and obviously that that early Lapadula goal set Peru on their way didn't it Mike you know they had Peru had their destiny in their own hands just needing to beat Paraguay at home to secure that fifth place um and, and you were there in person so yeah talk us through the match and, and your experience yeah Lapadula is really um him uh Carrillo and Cueva have like really formed this incredible partnership as sort of a front three uh, Carrillo unfortunately was injured uh, in the Uruguay game, but Edison Flores stepped in very well. Um, but he provides us this, this, he almost has this old fashioned sort of runs like a bull in a china shop um, up front. Um, he'll throw his body in the way of things and he's fully um, given himself uh, to the Peruvian national team. And to have someone of his um, quality up front as well is, is something that was very much needed starting off the campaign with sort of Rui Diaz, Guerrero, Farfan, um, two of which are aging, struggling with injury. Rui Diaz has never really hit any form with the um, national team. His club form's been fantastic where he's gone, but having Lapadula come in has really uh, changed a lot for the uh, for the Peruvian national team. And it's it was exactly what's helped us get over the line. I mean, we we scored less goals than Colombia in the qualifiers and as Simon said, went on that seven-game run without scoring. So we were never the highest scorers. Um, our midfield works hard, but the, the, we're a very counter-attacking team. So, um, so having that really has helped make us um, get us over the top. And he, he's, he just leads from the front, closing down well, um, and he, he can find that bits of space. He got a little bit of space early on in the Uruguay game. Unfortunately, his header went straight at the goalkeeper. But his movement up front, he created opportunities throughout against Paraguay. And I think, uh, as you said, like Paraguay didn't have anything to play for. They've got young players coming through, being brought into the team in preparation for future future tournaments. Um, I think that helped sort of helped Peru in a way because we, we wouldn't want the team just sat back Playing like playing for the draw and counter attacking, they came out and attacked us, which gave Lapadula and players like Quaver the chance to find bits of space, which which uh, made it a lot more comfortable than it could have been possibly. Yeah, definitely. I thought Quaver was a 
you know, once again with that lovely assist um, for the first goal, not great defending from Alderete, who, who lost the flight of the ball. But, you know, Quaver has come up with those moments. And you, you do think if he's on form and ticking, he's someone who can who can give Peru through the edge. But yeah, Lapadula arguably could have had a hat-trick in that game as well. And um, yeah, yeah um, a, a really good performance. I mean, for you, for you, Mike, what do you think... Peru, what the the main reason behind their success in this qualification cycle was? I mean, obviously Simon mentioned there that key result against Colombia, but you know, what do you put it down to? Is it a particular player, or do you think Gareca is is the difference uh, that has got this side to two World Cups now? Well, hopefully for you, yeah, obviously you still got that one game to go. I shouldn't get ahead of myself there. <laughs> No, that's it. Watching the uh, watching the draw today and going, oh, we'll play uh, this <laughs> and forgetting there's still that game to go. But it is completely, I think, um, and I think the whole of Peru will be uh, in agreement that this is all down to Gareca, really, the way he's changed the fortunes rounds after the poor start to the qualifying. Um, Peru have stuck with him. He's got a plan of how to um, how he wants the team to play. Um, we don't have some of the stars that some of these other teams may have. Um, but the whole group as a whole will play. Uh, they all know each other's role and it all looks like they're all there and they've 100% bought in. And Gareca's got players like you mentioned, Quaver, the, I mean, the career that man could have had if um, uh, if things had gone a bit better for him uh, on and off the pitch. Um, he, he's got all the all the uh, talent in the world and he and it's not just that we wait for him to get the ball and it lights and he, he'll light it up he he works so hard him and Carrillo work so hard on the wings as well out of possession as well as in possession um and it's 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 this it's been an incredible sort of team performance um going through like you're saying Colombia were had almost 90 minutes of non-stop attacking but the Peruvian side they they kept their they kept their positions they knew exactly what where who would be where what their plan was to deal with these attacks and find those find those counter-attacking opportunities and they're very well disciplined from what they uh could have been and have been in the past mm, yeah definitely i mean a great great achievement um whatever happens in that playoff um result coming up and and simon we've heard adam talk about the state of chilean football what might you know the direction that that might go in in, in terms of what you think is next for Colombia? Um, you know, what do you see the main areas they need to work on? Obviously, they got another win there and, and ultimately put a bit a bit of a you know nice gloss on on the end of the um, qualifying there with well, despite Wilker Farinha's best efforts. Um, but you know, what what do you see is important for Colombia going forward? Well, yeah. So I mean, I think there's two key things in regards to that. One will be finding the right manager. Um, there aren't any top Colombian managers in the world, um, which is an issue. <laughs> um, the most high-profile Colombian manager was probably Osorio, and uh, he just got sacked from America to Cali. He's asking for 800 grand to leave, which is, which is nice. <laughs> Good work if you can get it. Um, so finding a manager, and uh, we'll have to see what happens. They're keen to appoint somebody sooner rather than later to set everything up. Uh, with a, plenty of time to plan for the future. Uh, we'll see what happens. They obviously went a bit left field with Kiedos, um, and that didn't work out. They went very safe with Rueda, and that didn't work out. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I think a lot of 
Um, the journalists and a lot of the speculation is about a South American manager, but not a Colombian. Not only do Colombians, there's not a great culture of ideas and tactics in Colombia. I think the same is generally true of Brazil. So these are two big football countries that has an incredible amount of talent, but really, really lacks in ideas and identity in terms of football. Brazil can get away with it because they've brilliant right uh, and obviously there are a few good managers within Chiche come and do a very professional job but uh, I think uh, the two and Colombia in particular don't have a culture of ideas you know Uruguay has more managers in Europe than Colombia and has uh, a tiny fraction of the population so there's a problem there which I think long term there needs to be an improvement in the Colombian coaching um, so I think the sense here in South America in, in Colombia is find a South American coach who speaks the language but also brings ideas from Europe or ideas from from uh, higher level football. Um, and But also there's a benefit from not being Colombian because here in Colombia, if you're from the Caribbean coast, Colombia is a very uh, a country that has many distinct regions and different cultures. So if you bring, if you're from the Caribbean coast and you pick a load of players from the Caribbean coast, the fans will immediately go, ah, here we go. Typical. He's been, paid off or he's just picking his his mates from up in the Caribbean if he's from Medellin the same will happen so there's there's some different challenges that Colombian coach faces so finding the right manager is one um two I'd say also it's as with Chile it's the end of a generation I'd say the the generation of Cuadrado of Falcao potentially of James probably of James as well um Ospina all of these guys who took Colombia to the 2014 and 2018 World Cup um, you know, we see it now as a surprise that Colombia, with all the talent they have, are missing out on the World Cup. But 1998 to 2014, Colombia didn't qualify to any World Cups. So a lot of respect is due for the 2014 side who also went to the 2018 World Cup. But it's moving on now. I think Colombia don't have a shortage of talent. I think the new manager has to come in and decide what he wants to do and then build and build that and build a solid core. You know, Colombia couldn't score in seven games, but they're not short of attacking options and, and young attackers who are still going to be playing in four years' time. You know, Luis Diaz will still be uh, in in his peak years. Um, there'll be uh, Cucho Hernandez is now doing well at Watford. There's Sinisterra, who's being linked with the likes of Arsenal. Uh, Alfredo Morelos could potentially come in. Rafael Santos Borre. Colombia aren't short of attacking options. Uh, Luis Muriel, potentially, although he's now probably 30, so probably uh, towards the end for next uh, World Cup. But... There's plenty of talent. Colombia have talent. I think one of the issues Colombia have had is a lack of mental strength. And if we talk Libertadores, it's a feature of all of the Colombian teams. They're very passionate, but they they get carried away and they can lose their heads in these big games. Again, obviously, it's a massive generalization, but it's generally an issue Colombian teams have. Um, they can you know, they can be wound up by the opposition. They can lose focus. They can get caught up in the nonsense. Like Uruguay will do the dirty fouls <laughs> occasionally and they'll they'll do all of the tricks in the trade. Colombia try and do it, they get sent off. Colombia get fouled and they'll be screaming at the referee, they'll be pushing the opposition and, and they'll lose their heads. Uruguay do it with a little cheeky wink and then they get on with things and, uh, and, and keep focused on the results. So there's all kinds of issues. Talent is not one, um, but I think ideas, I think a culture uh, and I think some consistency as well. Colombia needs to choose a manager 
choose the core of their current side, who's going to be there in four years' time, build around that, and then not bring in 50, 60 players between now and the next World Cup. Have a core, change, bring new guys in when they're doing well, but uh, but but keep a concentrated core and trust the quality that Colombia has because Colombia have 11 players who should be finishing the top five in South America, um, and that will still be the case in four years' time. So... Long-term reasons to be confident, um, but there are definitely issues that Colombian football has to overcome to to be competitive and to feel the potential that they they clearly have. I think um, I remember doing a podcast maybe three, four years ago where we kind of covered the the whole you know um, concept of ideas, you know, tactical ideas, and how far Argentina and Uruguay were in terms of that compared to the rest of the continent. And obviously, you know, that hasn't changed since. But I think the sort of issues with mentality, but I'd also say sort of the maturity of the players, especially young players on and off the pitch, seems to be so much greater in Argentina and, and Uruguay. And it's, it's something that's kind of fascinated me to compare that to the young players on sort of the Pacific side of the of the continent. Just, it just seems to take them... That, that much longer really to, to mature into in, into better players or or, or so sometimes you know you, you might get you might get the same level of talent at 16 with a Colombian as you do an Argentinian but you would for some reason you would still think that that Argentinian is probably going to go on and have you know the more stellar career for whatever reason um so yeah, I'm I'm not sure exactly why that is. Maybe there's biases within sort of the football system that just that just mean that these Argentinians or Uruguayans get more chances than maybe a Colombian or a Chilean or a Peruvian. Who knows? Um, I, I, I don't. I think as well. Just I will look. I'll come back to you. But I think if we look at Independiente del Valle and how they've harnessed that that great natural ability the physical attributes, and they brought in that kind of European professionalism. Yeah. I think perhaps that's a model for, for how things can be done uh, in this side of the continent. Well, certainly Uruguay for, for many years, and I'm sure Tom knows about this as well, You know, when they went through a period of not qualifying for the World Cups and, and they had their whole restructure, it was very much based around the idea of preparing players for Europe rather than for their own domestic leagues and getting them that sort of top-level experience um, sooner and, and quicker. And I know certainly here in Chile, you know, players are, are just prepared to play in the domestic league. You know, there isn't that forward thinking. And obviously, they have it there in Ecuador, but just through one club, really, I, I don't think that's... And I think Ecuador have got very lucky there with, with Independiente de Valle doing that. Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, time for both Chile and, and Colombia not just to rely on on maybe the the larger population base and look at some of these more innovative methods of of getting um a, you know a stronger team going forward and at the end of the day having a strong Chile and, and Colombia in the qualification is only going to benefit South American football and and hopefully we'll see a better qualifier qualification cycle um if those two teams are, are sort of punching at their weight or above their weight. So yeah, very interesting to see how they are going to go. And um, I'll just quickly mention as well, I thought Simon, you were going to verge into some dangerous uh, territory about, you know, Colombia getting out shithoused again, um, you know, with 
uh, Gareth's brave boys. But uh, best to leave that debate. At least, at least we won't have a repeat of that match. No, exactly. And uh, that, that takes us quite nicely onto the World Cup itself, where we had the draw um, hours earlier today. So it's all still very fresh. Um, and yeah, in terms of the South American teams that are qualified so far, we've obviously got Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay and Ecuador. And obviously Peru, if they are to make it past either Australia or United Arab Emirates, um, hopefully will also be there. So Brazil in Group G with Switzerland, Serbia and Cameroon. Argentina in Group C with Mexico, Poland and Saudi Arabia. Uruguay in Group H with Portugal, Ghana and South Korea and Ecuador in Group A with Qatar, Netherlands and Senegal. Peru, if they make it, would be in Group D with France, Denmark and Tunisia. So um, let's, I mean, let's start with Brazil as the team that qualified top and probably one of the more fancied teams to, to, to go a long way. Um, I mean, Adam, what, what were your thoughts on, on this uh, group draw for, uh, for Brazil? Boring. <laughs> that, was, that was my uh, initial reaction, I thought. As it was strong, weren't these and they sort of the same two European sides they faced in 2018? I had to like just quickly double check it to make sure. And then, as I was doing that, the Argentinian uh, commentators who were doing the draw here confirmed it to me anyway. But um, yeah, so that I, I find that a little bit sort of disappointing. It's uh, mainly because I just feel that. You look at it and you think Brazil will probably win both games like 2-0 or maybe even 3-0 or something. I, I, I just don't see too much uh, entertainment there, really. Um, and uh, and even if maybe they do struggle in one of them games, you know, if they, one of the European sides managed to get a draw off them, you know, they finish off with Cameroon there, which uh, and I watched Cameroon against Algeria. In Cameroon were extremely fortunate to qualify, and with the quality that Brazil have, um, I don't think they'd be quite as forgiving as Algeria were in front of goal. Um, so yeah, I, I feel that uh, that is a pretty nice draw for Brazil. Um, there'd be no surprises there, given the fact that they faced these two sides, uh, two European sides, four years ago as well. So I think they can be extremely happy with what they've got there. Yeah, not the sexiest draw there by any stretch of the imagination, but they, I think the two times they have played Switzerland at World Cups, 2018 and 1950, they have only drawn. So who knows, there could be an upset there. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on this Brazil group at all? No, I've got the same as Adam, really. It doesn't seem the most uh, exciting one of being for Brazil. It's <clears throat> quite a nice sort of easier way in almost if uh, if they manage the games well and can keep their players fresh for the knockout stages really yeah and I mean it, it does feel as well I just feel like in the last couple of games uh as well of, of the qualifying campaign Brazil you know they they rolled on in a very sort of workmanlike but you know mechanical destruction of everything in their past but they, I feel like they've they're starting to hit their stride again just at the right time and I, I really can't see them having too much of a of an issue here and I mean in yeah. talking of similar groups as well Mike Peru if, if if they get through to to the the group stage they've also got a very very familiar lineup in the group stage haven't they exactly and I mean our playoff could be against Australia as well so that's the, uh, the three teams <laughs> we played um played last time with uh yeah France and Denmark so we uh nice to see uh nice to see us um if we get through play Tunisia um but yeah it's it's one I thought 
uh, France, obviously an incredible side. Um, we'll go in as favourites uh, in the group. I thought we played well against Denmark last time out. Um, and the way we've been progressing, um, obviously Denmark have as well. But I think we, we could spring an upset, I think, in that group um, if we uh, if we get through. Um, there's, there's, there's definitely, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, it could have been Group E, uh, which I'm glad we didn't get. <laughs> well, that's a good positive way to, to look at it there. But uh, yeah, I think... Certainly Denmark really impressed me at the Euros, as I'm sure you know most people were impressed by them and, and couldn't get help caught up in that storyline. And At least Peru would have the most winnable game second this time, yeah, rather than true. third last time. So, you know, you would potentially go into that sort of last match against Denmark, who, of course, you opened up against last time. But this time, you know, with, with even more on the line, yeah, a, a proper uh, clash that would be. If, uh, if, yeah. you, if if Peru and Denmark both need to win. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think as well there's got to be something to be said for the fact that this group of players has experienced that World Cup. I think last time was such, such an emotional um, return to the World Cup after so long that the occasion had got to them a little bit, I felt. And I think maybe having got that out of their system, maybe they've got a, a slightly better chance of, of dealing with the... This, um, you know, the the context, the scenario, everything around it. So there's always that to, to take from it as well. Um, moving on to Argentina, I think generally it's looking like a pretty good draw for them. Would you not say, Simon? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it. I think it definitely does look like a good draw for Argentina. Um, obviously, Mexico, you know, Poland, Lewandowski will be a, will be a danger, but I don't think Poland have been particularly impressive. Mexico, again, a team with strong history in world cups uh they've they've got a good quality players but you know there's low confidence they they've made it hard work of the concacaf qualifying um finishing third it was it was a long way from being done and dusted until the final round of fixtures so you know mexico if they get everything together could be a decent challenge for argentina but um martino the the manager there isn't very popular and they haven't looked particularly strong uh, Saudi Arabia again you know they've been to a lot of world cups but don't tend to be particularly strong so I think Argentina will will feel confident um you know Mexico and Poland are two sides that that they're going to be tricky but I think with with those two you kind of know what you're going to get to some extent um and I think on their day Argentina particularly given how they've improved over the last two or three years uh, will feel very very confident and I think it will give them enough of a challenge to to kind of get them into to the to the rhythm of things for the knockout stages, uh, but I think they won't fear any of those sides. They're not really teams who are going to massively surprise. I don't think. I think they're teams who you can do your research, you can learn about them, you'll know the key threats. But um, I think uh, Argentina can prepare and will have the superior quality. I think to to get out of that group um, with with a bit of an F, bit of effort. Um, but I think they'll feel confident of uh, progressing. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think it's, as you said, a nice warm up. I mean, obviously, we can't take any of these games as foregone conclusions, but it's the type where you could see them winning 2-1 against Mexico or 2-1 against Poland. And, and it would be it wouldn't like you've just cruised through against a load of minnows and you're going in a, without having really faced anyone of any quality in, in the knockout stages. But you know, the, obviously, someone like Lewandowski could, could cause an Argentinian defence 
issues obviously i mean how do you stop a threat like matty cash bombing down the the right flank i mean that is that's going to be something for uh, whoever's playing at left back for uh, for argentinas to think about as well um and you know but the thing about this group i think compared to maybe the the brazil group is it feels you know a bit more interesting a bit more exciting you know mexico against argentina is you know, feels like a classic World Cup clash, even if it's only been in sort of recent years that we've seen that. And and I think, yeah, Poland as well have got some big names. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. And, and obviously, should they get through, who knows? They they might even meet uh, Peru in in the round of 16. Would you would you be up for that, Mike? Yeah, I think we could. Um, if uh, if we're lucky to be there and we're lucky to get through, I mean, uh, we're always going to face difficult sides, but. This group sort of, um, Argentina sort of have this feeling for me personally that those quality of teams that they've got with them, you'll expect them to go through, but you can just see each game being quite hard work for them. Um, you can see possibly going on later and later and nil-nil and you're thinking they've got to score at some point or coming with Poland, like the danger of Lewandowski and the game could get quite difficult. Um maybe a bit more backwards and forwards, much more transition. Um, so it could be could be quite a bit of hard work for Argentina as com- like in comparison with Brazil. Yeah, well, the omens are there, even if uh, Adam's trying to deny it. You know, Poland, they, they got beat by Argentina in 78. And we all know what happened there. So um, the Paolo de Bella Davi, as I'm going to dub it from, from now on, and given his Polish heritage, even though, you know, he probably won't even make the squad, but you know, you've got to find um, some storylines there and anything from, am I getting ahead of myself, Adam? uh, No, I I think, I think that's, I think it's a very kind draw for Argentina. Um, From what we've seen of them in, in recent months, you know, they've looked even better than Brazil have. They certainly do it with a little bit more style than Brazil. So yeah, actually quite looking forward to watching Argentina in, in this world cup. I was in the last world cup, but just, for sort of the, the meltdowns, really. Yeah, the chaos. I knew it would be quite funny. But this time I'm looking forward to seeing them because I, I think they'd be one of the better sides in, in the World Cup to watch and, um, and one of the better stories to follow for positive reasons this time from the South Americans' perspective. Um, what, one other point I wanted to make, and I was going to make it when I was speaking about Brazil earlier and I forgot is that this World Cup is the shortest 32-team World Cup um, we've had. So it's like it's about four days shorter than usual. Um, and, I, and I do feel that Brazil and, and Argentina both have sort of the squads that if, if they do what we expect them to do in the first couple of games in, in the group, get those wins, you know, they, they really can afford to rotate and and still keep winning i think even in the in the uh in the final group game keep that momentum going um in, into the second round so yeah i think uh I, th- I think like brazil i can see argentina fairly comfortably winning their group too yeah it's uh certainly good vibes in the camp and uh it's yeah gonna be very interesting come the world cup um well, i mean one group that for me at least anyway stands out is is uruguay's group i mean they finished qualification qualification with four wins under diego alonso and it's going to be the last hurrah for the likes of suarez cavani and godin 
Um, and there's some some really good ties there. Obviously, Ghana looking for revenge against them. Um, Portugal, obviously, they they played each other in the round of 16 in the last World Cup. Although I, I remember that game more because um, I got food poisoning at a barbecue when uh, <laughs> meeting my my partner's bosses for the first time and just was, you know, in between seeing Cavani score, I was running between the toilet and just generally making um, a disgrace of myself um, at that barbecue. Um, and then even South Korea, I think, is an interesting clash of styles. So, um, you know, Adam, you, you saw, uh, you had a good look at, Uruguay in the last match against Chile. What, what do you think of their chances? Yeah, well, they're a team transformed for me um, under Alonso. I think he's done a fantastic job. Um, I, I don't think it was particularly hard <laughs> to to do better than how they were doing under Tavares because they just didn't look a team anymore. They didn't look like they had a midfield for pretty much all of these World Cup qualifiers until Alonso took over and that and that centre midfield partnership for me, Beth and and Valverde, um, is completely transformed. Um, uh, you know, in in the last few games that I've seen them, um, they've, you know, they've just looked far better than I've ever seen them before for for Uruguay. So, yeah, I think uh, I think we can put sort of Uruguay in the category of a potential semi finalist if 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 things go right. Uh, Suarez is is still deadly as ever up front, you know. Chile obviously didn't believe that as they left him completely unmarked <laughs> in the six yard box, which is uh, which is one of the strangest things I've seen since uh, Norwich used to leave him unmarked <laughs> for ninety minutes. Yeah, we have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think combined against Norwich and Chile over the years, Suarez must have scored about a hundred goals. It's, it's just insane. He's got at least four hat tricks, I think, against the against Norwich and Chile combined. So yeah, um, yeah, not my favourite player in the world, obviously, uh, but yeah, a great player. And uh, and yeah, I, I think uh, Cavani still got quite a bit to offer as well. He he did limp off against Chile the other night, um, and 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 it was Suarez who replaced him. But that's not to say that they lack options in attack by any means. You know, they've got. Darwin Nunes there as well, um, who's a who's a pretty talented forward. So, so yeah, and but yeah, they've they've got plenty of young talent uh, coming through as we touched on earlier as well. So, yeah, I think uh, I think they're definitely a, a contender to be um, the surprise kind of semi finalist from America, uh, South America. If uh, if Brazil and Argentina don't make it, then yeah, maybe Uruguay will. Big, big predictions there from Adam. Simon, any, anything you're particularly looking out for from this group? Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's going to be, it's one of those groups where it could be, Uruguay could finish first or fourth and it wouldn't massively surprise me. And I don't think anyone would be particularly disgraced if they did. You know, it's a very competitive, equal group. It's one of the most interesting ones. Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, since the new managers come in, they've looked a lot more, a lot more dynamic, um, a bit of fresh energy to the side so I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Uruguay and, and obviously with the narrative with Ghana and yeah this looks like a proper World Cup group for me uh, it's one I'm looking forward to and I think as well like obviously the World Cup is going to be shorter in terms of time but um, I think it's going to be interesting to see the level of the players as well given the middle of the season um, the weather is going to be pretty cool there in uh, Qatar um, and it's like 
45 minutes to any of the stadiums. So there's no flights, there's no like six hour journeys across the country. So interesting to see what impact that has as well on the level of performance. But in theory, I think the the level should be the highest. And we've seen in the past, um, you know, for example, the Korea World Cup, uh, given that it finished just at the end of the Premier League season, you know, the level was pretty poor. Um, it'd be interesting to see what difference the timing has this year. Um, I think it, it should, in theory, make it quite a high-level World Cup. And the star players, you know, we saw Messi at previous tournaments kind of walking around at times, catching his breath and then having these big moments. It'd be interesting to see how these star players perform, uh, given we're going to be four months into the European League season. They should be at their very highest level. So, one to watch as well, I think, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't get your hopes up too much about Messi sprinting all over the place. <laughs> but yeah, definitely a, a a good point. I mean, Mike, we, we've had predictions from semi-finalists to, to last place in the group there for Uruguay. Where, where do you stand on them? Yeah, I'm quite um, closer to what Adam's uh, predicting, I think. Just um, especially from watching how... how um, Peru went up against them a um, couple of um, couple of games ago. They they look so so um, so good off of the ball with like Bentoncourt and players like this in the middle. They're so good, but Palistri's pace um, caused so many problems. They, they, it wasn't um, uh, it wasn't the sort of disjointed issues they've had um, and the previously. And Alonso's really seems to have identified where their key strengths are um what he wants to do with the side and yeah they look they looked um really impressive um and the likes of um Suarez and Cavani are, they're getting um they're still highly quality high quality players but they're getting their rest at club level as well so they should be quite ready for um for tournament football yeah exactly and and one thing as well about Uruguay I could I could watch uh, Federico Valverde smash balls all day I mean he had an absolute thunder bastard against Peru that that made such a satisfying sound off the woodwork and obviously well, had a very nice finish another 30 yards back <laughs> yeah it was absolutely mad but um yeah he's he's really coming into his own and he's a player I've always liked since under 20 level and I think yeah him and him and Benton Cora are, are, are going to be that midfield that the they're, they're based out for the long term. They definitely feel like they've got all the pieces set for certainly, you know, look at some of the ages of their key, some, their key players for the next World Cup and, and they're all going to be in their prime as well. So this is, uh, yeah, very they've managed the transition quite well and, um, and they're going to be a good one to watch. Um, so moving on to Ecuador, who really limped over the line of qualification, ultimately finishing fourth and without a win in their last four games. Yeah, they've got, a, again, this is one of the groups that is, interesting me more than than most I would say it's a very eclectic group there and and I think certainly from the coverage that I've I've heard so far about people discussing it you know I think a lot of people from Europe at least anyway are, are dismissing Ecuador as just oh yeah you know just a, a, a random team making up the numbers almost I I feel like they've got the potential to be dark horses or the classic hipster dark horse pick who then massively underperforms and you look like an idiot for saying I I really don't know what Ecuador side we're going to see in um, in Qatar what do you think Adam yeah Ecuador have been sort of a little bit confusing throughout the World Cup qualifiers in the fact that their you know the performances early on when they found themselves kind of 4 nil up against Uruguay and what was it 6 nil up against Colombia or or at least 6-1 up against Colombia I think it finished um 
and you and you um, yeah they they just completely blew them away uh, the opposition in in those two games early on um, in World Cup qualifiers. But sort of as it's gone on, they've um, yeah they've looked they've looked sort of less and less impressive um, as the World Cup qualifiers has gone uh, have have progressed and. And now you're thinking, uh, is did they sort of peak too soon under Alfaro? Uh, has you know, has his kind of defensive base of ideas sort of taken over now, and and they've lost that little bit of uh, attacking panache that they had earlier on? Um, I don't know. I think it, I think they're like you said, Tom. They're a little bit hard to predict, really. How how they're going to do? They've certainly got no excuses with with the group that they've been handed. Being a, a pot four side, it could have been far more difficult than it is. Um, I think uh, I think Senegal is a pretty hard game. They they had you know I watched quite a bit of the African Cup of Nations and then some of the World Cup qualifiers and and you know they were deserved winners of the African Cup of Nations and they certainly deserve to beat Egypt. Although on both occasions in in the African Cup of Nations and. Um, and World Cup, and in the World Cup qualifier, they they needed penalties to do it. So um, you know, with aside from um, Sadio Mane, you know they do lack a bit of a cut, cutting edge there. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like how Cisse sets them up. So yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's an intriguing group, like you say, a, a great mix of uh, um, of nations and styles in it. Um, Netherlands is going to be quite interesting as well. Um, obviously, you know, they weren't in the last World Cup. Um, and, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be very keen to, to put their marker down in, in this group as, as sort of, obviously, they're not the seed because the host Qatar are, but, you know, a lot of people will see them as, you know, the team expected to win the group. So, yeah, it's... Uh, I think that first match Ecuador have against Qatar is uh, it's going to go a long way to deciding whether they have a, a decent chance of progressing from this group. Um, in 2014, Ecuador uh, lost their opening match against Switzerland, um, a game under Rueda that I'm <laughs> Ronaldo Rueda I'm, that I remember watching, and I thought that Rueda got his tactics completely wrong on that day. Um, something familiar now to Chile and Colombia uh, fans as well. Um, so yeah, I think uh, and and that ended up costing them getting out of that group in 2014. So they know all about the importance of the uh, of the first game of the uh, of the group, and uh, yeah, and they need to make sure that Alfaro gets it right this time. And, and Simon, do you think their their pacey wingers could cause the the hosts um, a bit of an upset early doors? <laughs> well, it's interesting with Qatar because obviously they've they've played over here in South America, so we have seen them a bit. Obviously, they they were using some of their younger players in, in that game, but you know, um, I, I think with Qatar, we don't want to rule them out completely because these are you know they won the Asian Cup; they're actually quite good, and we saw them fairly competitive over here in South America again with some younger players. Um, but also, we don't want to overrate them because I'm looking at the ES- ES- ESPN article right now. They have Ecuador bottom and Qatar uh, ahead of them. So um, I-, I think Ecuador will be favourites for that game. Um, and I think Ecuador, again, as we said, you know, at-, at their best in qualifying, have been really, really, really good, really impressive, really fun. 
obviously a very youthful side, a side full of energy, some pace out wide, undoubtedly, <laughs> Gonzalo Plata <laughs> in particular, um, the, the epitome of Ecuadorian wingers. Um, but uh, I think they have the potential to do a 2014 Colombia in terms of if it clicks, playing that kind of 4-4-2 energetic, creative formation with Plata maybe becoming one of the revelations of the tournament. Moises Caicedo showing why he's better than a reserve team under 20 player in, in, in England. Um, I think there's a few players who could really catch the attention in this Ecuador side if if it works. And obviously, we would love to see uh, Alvaro kind of let the let the reins loose, let these players be themselves. Because what what Ecuador have is great energy, great creativity, great invention. And obviously, you know, we've seen Alvaro kind of channel those great qualities into a, a solid team. But when when they've played without fear, they've been their best. I, you know, we I saw that game against Brazil uh, in in Ecuador, um, and once they conceded, they suddenly just absolutely overwhelmed Brazil. Um, and I think they could really shock some European sides if they're allowed to kind of just just play on the front foot. You know what I mean? So it's obviously we were worried maybe Alfaro might come in and be very conservative. He got the balance right at least for much of the qualifying. Um, but I just think go to the World Cup. Don't be scared. <laughs> don't do what Colombia did against England in 2018. Uh, this is your chance. You know, I think this is a big thing. South American teams don't get to play competitive, important games against European teams many very often. They and it's could, your chance. They could face England in round two, of course. Yeah, and and as I say, I think for me, it's a chance to to make history. Colombia banging on about the West Germany game in 1990, even today, and that was a that was a draw in a group stage game. You know what I mean? Like so, for me, once you're at the World Cup, obviously there are times where you have to be cautious and you have to manage games, but but don't but but be fun, make make a name for yourself. You know, Colombia changed the perception of Colombian football so much with 2014 and playing in that attacking way and and that point against Germany has you know put Colombia on the map. So don't miss your chance to to get the attention of the world and, and do something special. So I just hope Ecuador embody the Ecuador that we've we've seen coming and emerging as a as a really creative, inventive, uh, impressive force in South American football. So hopefully. They just play some fun football, basically. I just hope we, even if they don't fulfil um, some of the more op- optimistic uh, expectations, as long as they make a mark, and obviously they, they'll fancy themselves to get out of this group, and um, and then who knows? But I just hope that they play. It's it's the fun Ecuador. I hope it's the confident Ecuador. Don't 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 play within yourselves. Let's, let's enjoy because you know Colombia aren't there, so I want to go support Ecuador. So hopefully they they don't let me down. Yeah, similar colours, so you can transfer your loyalties pretty easily there, uh, Simon. Um, but anyway, before we finish, we should really touch on a on another draw, uh, the Copa Libertadores group stage, which is obviously going to kick off on this coming Tuesday. So, I mean, Mike, uh, I'll start with you. What, what are your sort of quick thoughts on on the draw there? Any any groups that are jumping out? Any dark horses? What are what are your thoughts on the Peruvian teams there? Uh, well, we've got. Um... <laughs> Peruvian-wise, I mean, Alianza Lima off to a nice, comfortable start at home with uh, River Plate. Um, couldn't be uh, couldn't be much tougher. Um, I can't. They've got a very difficult group. Obviously, not much expectation anyway. Um, prior to the prior to the draw, but with Colo Colo and Fortaleza, it's not um, 
not exactly anticipating uh, com <laughs> competing for uh, third place or um, in many of the games um, at all. Uh, Sporting Cristal are going to be our, our hopes. Um, it's in a tough group again with Flamengo, just be the favourites for that group. Um, uh, uh, Universidad Católica um, from Chile. I mean, Adam might be able to tell me a little bit more about how they've sort of won three and lost four um, on the trot since uh, the start of the start of the season. So I don't know. We're hoping them and Tayaras, um, Argentina. Hopefully, one of those sides maybe struggles for form um and then Cristal might be able to fight for that sort of third I mean the realistic aim is if we could if a Peruvian side can reach third and get into the Sudamericana that'd be fantastic um so I mean that's that's where the hopes will be um here um I think group C though is one that's sort of like one of the more sort of stands out um as sort of quite a competitive group with Nacional, Velez, Sarsfield, Bragantino and Estudiantes um that that one looks the more the most fun the mo the one where there's the more sort of the more questions about which sides will go through. Yeah, definitely one of the ones that I was uh, keeping an eye on there. I mean, I I don't know how fun it's going to be because I don't think there's going to be loads of uh, goals um, between the likes of Nacional and, and Estudiantes and and Velez maybe not quite at their best with a with a new manager coming in as well. So, but I think that's one that could go absolutely. Um, anywhere and um, you know Group G looking like a a pretty exciting one as well with obviously the Paraguayan derby being one of the highlights but but also some very equally matched teams there with Peñarol and Colón and I think another one where you could see anyone go through um, Adam you know you've you've got two of those uh, Peruvian sides in in groups that you'll be watching closely as well what what are your thoughts on on those groups and and their draw in general yeah I'm uh, I'm pretty frustrated with what's going on um at Universidad Católica at the moment um yeah, they started the season in okay form they won the three games they didn't look anything great but um they in the last sort of few years they sometimes look great and win, and they sometimes look okay and win. That's why they've won four titles in a, in a row. Um, but they've rarely looked um, completely poor, apart from the majority of games Gustavo Boyet was in charge of last year, and we saw some of that in the Libid stories, but they still somehow managed to get through that group last year. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 been a, it's, it's been a very strange... Uh, transformation really um so it's completely unexpected um uh, Pellucci since he's taken over from from Poirier had won pretty much every game that he managed for I think he got something like 14 wins out of 15 and like that before this run of four four defeats on the trot so they are kind of sticking with him because you know that long winning run he had before but it's uh I think if they lose the derby this weekend against Universidad de Chile, I think he's probably gone. Um, even though the next game is only sort of three, four days away in the Libertadores, so um, yeah, it's 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 a strange one with Catolica. Yeah, you know, they've definitely got the talent to finish second in that group, um, but yeah, whether they're gonna get themselves uh, the right manager to do it is is another matter. Um, Colo Colo uh, definitely have the capability of finishing second behind River Plate in, in their group, although a lot probably 
comes down to this first match against Fortaleza uh, on Thursday. Um, if they if they win that, they'll be looking well set, I think, to finish top two in the in in the group straight off. So um, because I'd expect them to pick up at least four points against the Alianza Lima. So yeah, it's. Uh, Yes, it's, it's it's probably the strongest Colo Colo have looked in quite a few years. They've definitely got a stronger squad uh, than they had when they reached the quarterfinals. I think back in two thousand eighteen that was. Um, so yeah, I, and they are in fantastic form at the moment in the league. You know, but, but they're they're going into they're going into this game against Fortaleza on the back of four wins and three of them big wins as well. So. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I'm quite optimistic about Colo Colo's chances this year. I think they're if 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 they can if things click, then they're definitely a potential potential quarterfinalist for me. And uh, and as long term listeners know, in this podcast, I don't usually say that about Chilean sides. So uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe my optimism may prove um, not to be correct. But um, yeah, I'll be quite surprised if they if they completely bombed. I have to say. Yeah, well, I mean, if it's if it's any consolation as well in, in the Group H over Catolica, Talleres have been looking awful, having been one of the better teams in Argentina over the last 18 months. They are pretty rubbish now that uh, Medina's left, the, man, the manager there. So definitely opens a door for Catolica and Cristal yeah. in that group. So that's going to be uh, interesting oh, there. And, and yeah, definitely. And um, And in terms of... Uh, Colombian side, Simon, I, I would say that Group D there with Tolima in, in with Independiente del Valle, Atletico Mineiro and America Mineiro is, is again one of the probably more interesting groups out there. Yeah, I think that is interesting. We'll, we'll leave Cali for, to the side for a second. We'll come back to them in a minute. There's <laughs> good news and bad news. Um, so Tolima are actually quite good, um, which is the good news, particularly in defence. Um, they've got lots and lots of good depth in defence. Uh, Moya Caicedo, Mosquera, they've got plenty of good centre-backs. They've got Angulo at full-back again. He's a, a good, experienced, top Colombian full-back. Good cover in front, Rovira, Rios, uh, Rodrigo, Oreña. They've got, they've got good options there. And then lots and lots of pace and creativity behind a big number nine. So Tolima, pace out wide, Ecuador style. Um, I think they'll, they're, they're set up well to be competitive against better teams. And I think in Minero and Independiente de Valle, they're probably two better teams. But I think uh, Tolima are probably, yeah, you know, they've got pace out wide. They've got a big number nine. They're solid in the back. I think they are, yeah, they, they, won't, they won't leave themselves wide open like we've seen some Colombian teams. They won't concede many goals. And I do think they are really quite dangerous on the counter. Uh, they've got a they've got a style of play. They've got they've got a strategy. They've got a plan, which um, you know sounds like it's a minimum expectation, but it is it's a refreshing change from some of the Colombian performances. So, I think Tolima aren't filled with national team superstars as we've seen with some other Colombian teams in the past. But I think they have they get the best out of what is a a good a good side and they're second in the Colombian league they rotate they've got lots and lots of cover so it's not like their league and Libertadores form are gonna gonna create problems they've got two players in every position they're good 
uh, are they going to finish in the top two? Yeah, probably not. But I think they'll come fairly close, which from a Colombian perspective is is progress. <laughs> uh, Deportivo Cali, <laughs> I just had a quick Google because I was like, always ready. Are they one of the ones at altitude or are they really high up in Bolivia? Uh, well, they're based in El Alto. And I was like, okay, <laughs> well, that's bad news. <laughs> it's like <laughs> quite a lot higher than La Paz. So yeah, okay, best of luck with that one, Cali. Um, so yeah, not so confident with Cali, to be honest. They're currently 19th in the league. Um, they're behind all the teams named after animals, which is always an interesting marker. They have good players. They've got Teofilo Gutierrez, good old Teofilo back in the Libertadores, my, my guy. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> not very confident with Deportivo Cali. Uh, they've been a mess. Uh, they were league champions five months ago, and since then they have been in constant disputes and arguments. Is still in charge? Yeah, uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, I was um, very surprised to see him go there and win the win the league, having seen his Universidad Chile side here <laughs> last year. Yeah, I think, I, like, as I was saying before the pod, I think they made a pact with the devil when signing Teofilo Gutierrez. And I'm not going to blame him completely, but I think with Teofilo, what you do is you get a player who's good enough to win the Colombian league, but can be quite divisive and can uh, can can make some big friends in the dressing room and they'll all go out and party and he'll make some enemies in the dressing room and it feels um, a combination of, of Dunedon perhaps not managing things in the best way and Teofilo kind of perhaps dividing the group a little bit um, has meant that they've become a bit of a mess, uh, particularly defence midfield. Now they've, they've settled on, having tried everyone, they've settled on uh, Congo in there and... They may be onto something. They won a game this week, um, having gone three up to National. They ended up drawing three all, and then they beat Cali. Um, and to say they won a game against newly promoted Cote de Loire um, as as a great sign of optimism um, perhaps tells you where they are right now. So, yeah, big players, but a, a right old mess. Um, so t- Tolima. All hopes in Tolima. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, I think one of the things to watch out for with uh, with Cali as well is going to be um, the uh, return of Teo Gutierrez to the Bombonera, which obviously I can't see anything going wrong there at all. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that in more detail in, in upcoming pods when we've got Libertadores back in full flow so we'll we'll wrap that up for today that again that jam-packed show um firstly simon where can people find you on social media and anything to plug uh yeah you can find me on simon edwards saf on twitter uh no nothing really i mean you know everything i do is on my twitter bits and pieces for some other places but um yeah follow me follow me over there and uh you'll you'll find whatever i do Excellent. And how about you, Adam? Yeah, you can find me uh, at Adam Branson 84 on Twitter. And uh, yeah, feel free to discuss anything about Chilean football or, the, or that World Cup draw. Definitely do that, people. And finally, Mike, where can people find you on social media? Uh, yeah, I'll be at Mike Rice 1983. Um, you can find me on there and we do bits with the, uh, the Peru Waltz as well for all things uh, Peruvian football. Yeah, definitely worth following that in these exciting qualifiers that's still to come. So, yeah, that's going to be um, very, very interesting indeed. So I think that is pretty much all we've got for today. So once again, big thanks to our guests and all our listeners. And be sure to follow the fo- football. Ugh. 
Be sure to follow the World Football Index on social media for all the latest. So thanks for listening and goodbye.